You don't have to think that because uh, I haven't really got a suspicious mind at all. I look suspicious myself. A lot of people think I'm suspicious, especially when I stand around on street corners. One of our own boys picked me up the other week. He thought I looked a bit too suspicious standing on street corner and everything. Tell me something. Um, I couldn't help uh, noticing when you checked in tonight. It's uh, part of my job. I notice uh, human individuals, and I notice your face. I said to myself when I saw you, I said, that's a guy with the most normal-looking face I ever saw in my life. That's very nice of you to say, huh? Not a bit, not a bit. It's great to see a normal face, because I'm a normal guy. It'd be great for two normal guys like us to get together and talk about world events, you know, in a normal sort of way. Well, there's nothing I would like better than that, but I, I don't have much time. Oh, it's a pity, because uh, may I say one other thing to you? It's really on my mind. I've been thinking about it quite a lot. I noticed when you was checking in, you had a lovely, pretty little girl with you. She was really lovely. I, as a matter of fact, she wasn't so little, come to think of it. She was a fairly tall little. Well, I mean, taller than little, you know what I mean? But uh, she was really lovely. I wish I had a lovely, pretty tall, lovely little girl like that. I mean... Well, that would, that's my daughter. Your daughter? Gee, isn't it great to have a lovely, tall, pretty little, small daughter like that? It's really wonderful. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Waddington. And before we get to talking about our second Kubrick film today, uh, Lolita, we will bring you some recommendations in... Do you mind if I go first? Please do. Um, So... You know, usually I think I tr- I think we try to recommend stuff that we've only seen the first time, like for the first time, unless we're trying to tie it directly into the a specific movie. Or if I run out of time and I'm cheating and I have to pull something from my memory. To, sure, yeah. perfect, like that. Um, uh, but so we, Melissa and I watched something the other night. We we her I think her favorite horror thriller is her favorite genre, and you know we watched something that we'd only seen once before, and I gotta say I liked it so much more the second time, and I was really into it. Um. Is the descent? Oh, the the horror, the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where they go spelunking in the cave. I recommended Neil Marshall's first movie uh, on ages, episodes, way, way back. Dog Soldiers. Dog Soldiers. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah same yeah. guy. Um, and he's gone on to do episodes of Game of Thrones and yeah. yeah. And so, and it's it's a you know pretty simple plot. Um, it's a, it's and well, there's a lot of great things about it. So it's a group of these the six six women who go to this um this cave. I think it's like in North Carolina. It's somewhere kind of in the south, and um. They they're basically going spelunking. That's what they're doing. Um, and there's a lot of it's very simple storytelling. And and um, uh, the the woman who's kind of the guide leaves the the book behind. Um, she does it intentionally because she wants to sort of discover it on her own. The the women believe they're in a certain cave and they're not. They've been intentionally let somewhere else because they want to discover their own thing and and name it. Um, there's a lot of backstory where um the main character. Uh, really early on in the movie, that's not a spoiler because it's what propels it forward. Her, she, she's in a car accident and she loses her her husband and her her daughter. They die in the accident, and there's this backstory where the woman who's the guide was having an affair with her husband, and that comes into play later. Um, and really, it's just if, for the longest time, it's it's just sort of tension because of where they are. It's not there's no outside force. It's just you know they're in this cave. They're trying to traverse it. It's tense because you you feel claustrophobic watching it when they're going through some of the really tight corridors, and then when you realize there's a, a menacing force within these caves, it really ratchets up a notch. And I don't think it was I didn't like it last time. I have I have issues issues with the ending, and I still kind of do, but. 
it really does not negate how um how visceral it is. Like it it's it's scary, but it, it's not like jump scares where the like the music just gets loud. Like I I was genuinely like kind of gripping my hands and um and and you know holding on to Melissa's hand too. Not out of like are we gonna make it? But just like you know, you gotta hold on to something. You can just you, it just it it comes right through you. And I I don't know how much play this movie got, and I don't. I don't want to say too much about it, but not not a ton. It kind of flew over the radar. I remember it struck a chord with some people because it had a, a a poster. I was working at the video store in Camino when yeah. it came out, and the you know the cover grabbed a lot of people because it's the lead character with looking up. She's screaming and she's covered, covered in, in blood. blood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so there's some. I think the dynamics with it is great, and I I really like it's it's all females. It's the the the, the husband is in it for like two minutes, and then he's out, and it's just the six women in the in the cave. And it's harrowing and compelling, and man, I, I I don't really know what else to say. It's just it's well, really I, good. I remember liking it as well, and I, I if I'm remembering right, I think I had a similar problem with the the end. Kind of, I felt let down by, if I'm remembering right. Well, it it, it wants to be a couple of different endings, and then it, it just kind of it's kind of confusing. Um, well, it, this is part of Neil Marshall's problem, and I, I think it, it worked to a strength in Dog Soldiers because of the the sort of gung-ho, comedic, sort of tongue-in-cheek nature of Dog Soldiers versus the, the darker, visceral experience of The Descent, is he wears a lot of his influence on his sleeve. Okay. Yeah, but so... But seek it out. I mean, and especially if you're looking for... There was... We talked about this before. There's a lot of really shitty horror movies... Both in like, oh, they're actually kind of funny, or ones that aren't. This, there's not really scary, but this man, this is really good. I and it's, anybody who's got a claustrophobia thing, this movie is really gonna put you through your paces. It is we, big time, big time. So uh, just a brief synopsis, but we 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 got a lot we want to get to today anyway. Um, but yeah, the descent. Go 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 seek it out. It's very good. Yeah. Ian, what do you got? So I've got a, a Kubrick movie. Uh, to tie us in directly to uh, Lolita. So uh, before he made Lolita, he made Spartacus, which is the least Kubrick of the Kubrick movies. For uh, wh- wh- When we tackle that, we can get into it. Yeah, exactly. And then there's Pass the Glory, which you said you wanted to watch off mic for this and, and weren't able to, which is a shame because it is... I think Pass the Glory is really dubbed the first masterpiece. Yeah. But the movie that I have is the one where I think he found his voice, and it's the one just before it, The Killing from 1956 and uh so it's, it's his third feature uh it's a it's a noir that kind of combines you know a lot of the things that you would come to to love about his his later work with how he got started in in documentary yeah. film yeah. it's kind of like uh i liken it to um Friedkin making French Connection because Friedkin also comes out of a documentary background like Kubrick yeah. and this is him marrying narrative storytelling with his documentary sensibilities so we have Sterling Hayden who plays Johnny and uh, Sterling Hayden of course we talked about him at length during our, our Doctor Strange Love episode oh of course we did as um god what is his character's name why am I blank it's such uh Jack D. Ripper yep yep, yep. there we go a precious bodily fluid that's right those commies uh, so he's in it as Johnny, this guy who's recently been let out of prison, and he's one of these career criminals. Like, he's got the itch. He's got to get back to work and, and find the next thing to, to steal. And he gets together with a, a small group of guys uh, to rob this racetrack, and they're 
under the impression that they're going to get away with something like $2 million, which in today's money, I think I, I looked it up. It's something like uh, closer to, to 20 million, somewhere between 18 and 20 million sure. in, in today's money. Yeah. And, uh, there's a couple of guys work at the racetrack, a couple of guys he's, he's known for years. One of them, uh, has a little bit of a, I feel an infatuation with Johnny, which is kind of some of the great 50, because obviously you can't just come out and say it in the 50s with the Hayes Code <laughs> yeah, and all of that. Exactly. And we'll, we're going to be dealing that. with that a yeah, lot exactly. in Lolita. Um, but they, they're, they're going about their business. They're, they're getting this heist together. And then one of the, the, the smaller guy, he's, uh, we've talked about him a little bit in our uh, Maltese Falcon episode, was um, Eliza Cook Jr. plays a... Um, a cashier at the racetrack, he blabs to his wife and they have a very contentious relationship. It's a marriage where, you know, he's clearly punching above his weight and, okay. and she, you know, she's got big grandiose designs of, of living a, a wealthier life. And she's having an affair with a guy that she turns around and then spills the beans to, uh, this guy, Val, his partner is Joe Turkel, who would pop up again in a couple other Kubrick movies, most notably as the bartender in The Shining. Okay. So this is all, you know, yeah. all of this is starting to come together in a nice way. Also, Timothy Carey, who's a, if you don't know who he is, look him up. He's got a very sad uh, backstory. He has a small role in this film as well and then would pop up again in Pass of Glory. But of course, it's, it's very 1950s noir, quick dialogue. Jim Thompson... Is a very famous writer from that era. Wrote the killer inside me. Uh, he contributed the dialogue, and it's I don't know. It's a it's a Kubrick movie that I have grown to appreciate more and more over the years. I hadn't seen it in a while, and I wanted to pair a Kubrick with this. And I watched it with Liz, and Liz fell in love with it instantly. It's like one of her new favorite Kubricks, which is great. Nice. I love that she loves it, but yeah. it's just it's a noir that I think really can stand up to the rest of them. I think it's an underappreciated noir that should be mentioned and is not in the same breath of stuff like Touch of Evil and Double Indemnity and Kiss Me Deadly, stuff like that. It really... And the, and it doesn't help that the studio tried to bury it as well. They, like, put it on a double bill and they made Kubrick uh, recut it. Fortunately, his cut is the one that, that came out because they wanted him to cut it linearly he does a lot of cross-cutting back and forth and replaying the same scene from okay. different points of view so it's got a big influence on reservoir dogs sure and uh and and things like that so really underrated kubrick movie uh we're gonna get into at the end of lolita the killing may come back around maybe maybe not we'll oh. see so uh so just like yeah well at the, at the end of this we're gonna do a top five kubrick film that's right yeah and one last thought on the uh, the killing it's on ebert's uh, great movie list oh nice so if you didn't need a, a higher recommendation, there you go. There you go. Fucking Ebert, man. Yeah, that's right. Man. So we are talking about Lolita, uh, the 1962 uh, uh, film based off of Vladimir Nabokov's book. Um, it is uh, written and directed by Stanley Kubrick. Um, so the cast, I mean, he, he, I got a few. I got a few. Uh, James Mason plays Humbert Hum Humbert. <laughs> It was just fun Excuse to say. Professor Humber Humbert. Uh, Professor Hum Humbert, yes. Um, Shelley Winters plays Charlotte Hayes Humbert. Uh, Sue Lyon plays Dolores Hayes, uh, otherwise known as Lolita. Well, and unfortunately, she died very recently. She died just over Christmas oh. uh, last year. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Um, Peter Sellers plays uh, Claire Quilty. And, and then, Dr. Zempf. Yes. Of course, yeah, of course, Dr. Zempf. Um, and then I, I have the two, because they're in it a little bit, but I, I have Jerry Stoven and Diana Decker. They play the Farlows. That's who I have. 
Uh, the other person I would call out just because of my affiliation uh, or my my uh, my love for the Bond movies is Lois Maxwell pops up in this. The original Money Penny has a small role as oh. uh, Nurse Mary. Oh, and we, we okay. talked about her a little bit in The Haunting as well. She's got a small role in that. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so uh, Kubrick, as as we've already discussed before, um, he's got a bunch of movies in the book. We've already discussed uh, discussed Doctor Strangelove, but he's also in for Paths of Glory, Spartacus, A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining, and Full Metal Jacket. And 2001. Did I skip that? I did. What a No, oh, I did. I did. The numbers ran together. My bad. Thank you. Um... So this movie was nominated for one Academy Award for adapted screenplay. It lost to To Kill a Mockingbird. Which, I mean, are you not going to give it to To Kill a Mockingbird? No, yeah. of course, of yeah. course. Um, had a couple of Golden Globe nominations uh, for director lost to Lawrence of Arabia, actor lost to To Kill a Mockingbird, actress. Um, uh, why didn't I have? Oh, uh, yeah, Winters was nominated, but she lost to Geraldine Page. Thank you, yes. For yes. Uh, Sweet Bird of Youth, which yep. was based on a Tennessee Williams play. Tennessee Williams play, yep. Um, uh, uh, supporting actor, also lost in Lawrence of Arabia. Although Sue, La- Sue Lyon did win Best Newcomer. Um, at the BAFTAs, James Mason was nominated for Best British Actor, who I imagine lost to Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, it got a DGA nom, which is... Kind of crazy, uh, but that's fine. Uh, lost again to David Lean for Lawrence of Arabia. At the Venice Film Festival, it was nominated for the Golden Lion. It lost to Family Portrait, which I don't know, and Ivan's Childhood, which is Tarkovsky. And we can't wait to get back to Tarkovsky. Really can't. how much we love really Stalker. Really can't. Yeah, I know. Um, and that's what I had in terms of accolades. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, Sellers was also nominated at the BAFTAs, but not for this movie. He was nominated for a little film called Only Two Can Play. Oh, okay. I, I don't know that one. Uh, neither do I. I didn't, I didn't do that much research. <laughs> it is It is not on the IMDb 250. It has a 93% critical and an 84% uh, audience. Did you pull any reviews? I did, but before I... I get to the review uh, when we talk about Rotten Tomato score. If a movie has been remade, I also like to to take a look at the remake as well. So this was I, very. I didn't know if we were going to talk about that at all. Have you seen the, the no, remake? No, no, I have not. Neither have I. But uh, very famously remade uh, by Adrian Lin, who made uh, Fair to Yours, uh, Jacob's Fatal. Ladder, and Fatal, Fatal Attraction, Attraction. Yep. Uh, Flash Dance. If you're so inclined. <laughs> Um, so he remade that in 97 with yep. Jeremy Irons in the Humbert part, uh, Dominic Dominique Swan, uh, Melanie Griffith, and Frank Langella was also in it. Um, so the remake has a 68% and a 75% audience. Now, the bigger stat is it had a $62 million budget. And I'm Holy gonna, shit. Yeah, huge. Compared to the, I think, I think this one had, oh yeah, I do have it. The budget for this one was $2 million. Uh, the, the Kubrick version. Yeah. Uh, so would you care to guess how much of its $62 million budget it lost? Okay. I, I, I would, let's see here. I, 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 I mean, I'm going to say it maybe made $20 million. It made $1 million. Oh, my God. Because for some reason, they decided to premiere it on Showtime and then give it a theatrical release. Oh, well, that's just, that's just not good. What? Why? That's just not good at all. That that makes no business sense whatsoever. I can't wrap my mind around why that decision was made. Utterly ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, whose review do you have? Who do you think I have? Oh, you went with Bosley. I did. Okay. You, I, I would love it if you went first. Okay. Uh, so I have the whole thing, but I'll, uh, I'll just read uh, a little piece of it. 
so the opening of his review from uh, the New York Times on June the 14th, 1962, he writes, How did they ever make a movie of Lolita? The answer to that question posed in the advertisements of the picture which arrived at the Low State and the Murray Hill last night is as simple as this. They didn't. There's a crowd there at his, his most crotchety. Yeah. Uh, they made a movie from a script in which the characters have the same names as the characters in the book. The plot bears a resemblance to the original, and some of the incidents are vaguely similar. But the Lolita that Nabokov wrote as a novel and the Lolita he wrote to be a film directed by Kubrick are two conspicuously different things. He goes on, he really like hammers the point home about yeah. the adaptation yep. and, and focuses a lot kind of creepily on... Sue Leon's age and uh, should skip over that, buddy. Um, but he did go on to have some some nice things to say in his final paragraph. He says the changes are disconcerting, and Mr. Kubrick inclines to dwell too long over scenes that have slight purpose, such as scenes in which Mr. Sellers does various comical impersonations as the sneaky villain who dogs Mr. Mason's trail. I know that doesn't sound great, but he does go on to say nicer things. But for all that, the picture has a rare power, a garbled but often moving push towards an offbeat communication, and Miss Leon makes a shallow, heartless girl. This is not the novel Lolita, but it is a Excuse me, but it is a provocative sort of film. So, um, the, so I get the feeling that he was kind of lukewarm to it. Yeah. Now, the the review I pulled uh, makes comment about Bosley Crowther's review. Oh, it um, does. And also, kind of leans more towards where I feel. And this is Pauline Kael's review out of the New Yorker in in 1962 as well. Wow, I had no idea. See, Pauline Kael for me, I think of her in the 70s. I had no idea she went back that far. Well, okay. So here we go. The surprise of Lolita is how enjoyable it is. It's the first new American comedy since those great days in the 40s when Preston Sturgis recreated comedy with verbal slapstick. Lolita is black slapstick, and at times it's so far out that you gasp as you laugh. At its best, which is about half time, it makes the most of the new American cinema look square. An inspired Peter Sellers creates a new comic pattern, a crazy quilt of psychological, sociological commentary so hip it's surrealist. It doesn't cover everything. There are structural weaknesses, the film falls apart, and there's even a forced and humiliating attempt to explain the plot. But when the wit is galloping, who's going to look a gift horse in the mouth? Critics. Who feel decay in their bones. I really, I really liked it. Her that's, review that's, is great. The whole yeah, review is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, when she said, the, so the line that really sticks with me is that when she says, uh, Lolita is black slapstick and at times it's so far out that you gasp as you laugh. That was my experience watching this movie. I did not expect it to be as funny as it was. I thought it so was th- this hysterical. Was your, your first time this was my Lolita. first time watching it. Yeah. Yes. So this was my second time. I'd seen it. Uh, about 15 years ago and it left very little impression on me it did leave a, a much bigger impression on me this time around yeah um i mean do we do we want to try to attempt to explain what this movie is sure do you want me to to run down a small plot synopsis sure so uh we have james mason as professor humbert humbert which is a, a detail that was actually cut out of the film he changes in the novel it's written first person, and the, the story is presents, uh, presented from his first person perspective as well. Uh, he says that he changes the names to protect the, the guilty, including his own. Uh, so the movie starts with him entering this rather 
run-down, disheveled houses, a lot of partying well, happening but, in there. But a bi- like a big house. Big house. It's yeah, full yeah, of big, and statues and yeah, yeah. portraits. And, yeah. We yeah. got the feeling something big went down here, lots of partying. Yeah. And he's got a gun in hand, and he's looking for Quilty. Eventually finds him and kills him. Yes. And then we, we flash back to him arriving in Ohio. He's there as a French uh, literature professor, and he's looking for a place to stay for the summer before he has to move to Beardsley. No, but he's not in Ohio. Um, that's where he's going to teach, but that's not where he's staying. He's in, like, Massachusetts or somewhere. Oh, is it? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Sorry. Yeah, no, no. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, he's a French literature professor. He's... Um, he finds this this room to rent from Charlotte Hayes, played by Shelley Winters, and uh, meets her daughter, Lolita, who he is immediately infatuated with. Now, she is, in the novel, described as a nymphette. I believe she's 12 in the novel. Yes. They brought her age up to 14, which is closer to to uh, Sue Leon's actual age. I believe that she was 14 when they started filming. The film, eventually, and, when it came out, she was 16. Well, and, and to get past the Hayes Code. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Catholic League of Decency, which oh. we'll bring them up later. Yeah. Um, so he he instantly falls head over heels for this girl and uh, discovers that the only way that he's going to be able to keep her in his life is to marry Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this entire time, he's been keeping a diary. Uh, they send, uh, much to his dismay, they send young Lolita, or Dolores is her actual name. Yes. Is, they send her off to Camp Climax, oh my which, God. again, plays Jesus into a lot Christ. of the great double yeah. entendres and, and black comedy in the film. Uh, they ship her off to Camp Climax, and uh, he he marries Charlotte mm-hmm. to keep her in his life. And uh, she discovers, uh, Charlotte, that is, discovers his journal, and, uh, of course, is very upset because he's been writing all kinds of things about what a moron he thinks Charlotte is and how much in love he is with Lolita. She runs out into the street distressed and is, is run down by a car. Yep. Now, he's found the perfect way to keep Lolita in his life. So he goes and he picks her up and he drives around the country with her. At first, he lies to her yep. about uh her mother she's being, just sick she's sick she's in a hospital don't worry we'll get to her we'll go visit her of course the truth has to come out eventually yep and great hard cut yeah really really good hard cut yeah and uh eventually the the truth comes out and they become off screen closer than they should yeah they end up in Ohio. They end up in Ohio. Uh, he's teaching. She's going to the same school. She's starting to rebel against him keeping her under lock and key, stifling her. And in an effort to outwit uh, Quilty, who is getting quite close to them, who also, we find, has an infatuation with Lolita as well, they mm-hmm. they drive off, leaving Beardsley behind. And... Uh, Things go from bad to worse yep. as first Lolita gets sick and then he does. And then when he goes to retrieve her from the hospital, finds out that she's been taken by her quote unquote uncle. Yes. At which point we get a hard cut to three years later. We found out that Quilty is the one that took her from the hospital. She's now pregnant and married, married. and strapped for cash. Yep. And he finds out what happened to her during that three years. And that sets us back to the beginning where he's off for revenge to kill Quilty for taking the love of his life from him. Wonderful. Perfect. There it is. That's the fucking movie. Yeah. So let's let's talk about it now. Yeah. Um, So this is a black comedy. Yeah. But we also have to deal with the fact that this movie is about statutory rape. Yes. So we find ourselves, like in Straw Dogs, in some very sticky territory again. Yes. Now, 
obviously the way the material is approached is a, is a whole lot different than, than straw dogs. Um, so and it's also the way that it, I mean, not just, not just in terms of its tone, which of course is different, but the way that what, what we see, and that's the things we don't see anything. Um, there was a lot of illusion in the movie, which of course is a, how we got past the Hays code and B why people who liked, liked maybe it's a stronger, but people who knew the novel didn't like the movie because it was different in that way. Um, there's a whole lot that changed from like Humbert, you know, not, not just having an, an obsession with Lolita, but with but with kind of having uh, an obsession with underage women. I feel like cutting that out was a mistake. Uh, cutting out his backstory because they they in the novel he's a young man of that age. He's fourteen. He's about to make love to this this girl, and they're interrupted. Yeah, and then she before they can relive that moment and and finish what they started, she's killed. And so he's left hanging with this sort of unfulfilled love. And it kind of feel like breaks him slightly psychologically, which is, I mean, it's kind of a, a poor excuse for his obsession with underage girls, but that is the reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you... Which is missing from the movie. Yeah, oh, oh, absolutely. He's just a fucking pervert in the movie. Yeah. Well, but he's also, he comes across without... when he, James Mason brings a a foreign debonair quality to it's, it. It's genius casting because he is so suave and, as you say, debonair and so charming that it kind of throws us off just the perversity of the character. And, yeah. And from the research, he was always Kubrick's first choice. I think the studio pushed him. I think they had David Niven at one point, and then the TV show that Niven was working on kind of forced him to back out because there was kind of a threat that he would lose the show for playing this character. And then they went after everybody from Cary Grant to Marlon Brando. I mean, the list of people they sought isn't as long as the number of girls. I think I read they saw something like 800 girls for the character of Lolita. But there were quite a few very big stars up for the role of Humbert Humbert. Well, speaking of people who were in it, um, I read something that, uh, Kubrick seriously considered firing Shelley Winters. Isn't that great? <laughs> I can believe it. Yeah. She uh, goes from being okay to there's the there's the moment where she's 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 found the the diary and she says something like you'll never see that miserable brat again. Yeah, and it's, I'm like, it's oh. T- turn take it down a notch. Whoa. Um, but that's that's not the reason he considered firing no, her. Oh, it was I, it was that's her, my that's my reason. Yeah. <laughs> it was her interaction with Sellers and and bumping up against him and not enjoying the fact that she he improvised so much and wouldn't stay off which Kubrick encouraged. Yes. Yeah. Uh not so much later in his career, but he this is what I was going to come around to eventually, but now that we're here do you think Sellers was his greatest collaborator on screen? Based on this and uh, I'm going to Strange go, Love. I, I, I'm going to immediately say yes, yeah. and then and but then follow that up by saying, who has he worked with multiple times? Because that doesn't seem to be a thing that he really does. Well, there's there's bit players that he would work with multiple times, sure. which I mentioned in the opening. I mean, I know, and I know, killing, and then Kirk, Kirk Douglas, Douglas he worked with twice, which I wouldn't I wouldn't think that at all. But there are also. This isn't to say that his best collaborator had to be a repeat collaborator. Sure. I know a lot of people consider Malcolm McDowell in Clockwork Orange probably one of the best performances in his filmography. Sure. Yeah. Not not just Malcolm McDowell's, but in Kubrick's movies as well. Yeah. yeah. But but I think there is something about it it seems like Sellers is the only one he let have free reign. I want to say yes, but I also want to say that after so we go from Lolita 
to Strangelove. But then we go from Strangelove to 2001, and there's a huge after two or after sorry after Doctor Strangelove, Kubrick never really comes back to comedy in, in any real way. Everything is generally pretty serious there, there or straightforward. Are, there are moments of comedy in his films, but he, yes. yes, he doesn't make a flat out. Yeah. This is a comedy, and and I and we can't even say that Lolita or Doctor Strangelove are flat out comedies. Maybe Strangelove, I would, but but you, but you know what I mean? Like he his he shifts and he he, he moves away from sellers and and that. I I still I, my answer is still yes. Um, but I, you know Kubrick has always made a lot of different movies and um. Well, this is this is part of my. I, I mean, who, who are we kidding? His greatest on-screen collaborator is Shelley Duvall. So, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. So we're gonna we're we're gonna be sarcastic. <laughs> no, I think it's Sellers. I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that because she's not as bad in that movie as everybody makes her out. To no, be. no, I'm talking about the their the way oh, they the, their class. I'm not yeah. talking about her as an no, no, no. Yeah, no. she's wonderful. She's she, fine. Gets, she gets too she's much fine. shit. Um, <laughs> Well, for that movie in, in particular. But yes, that's true. This is this is part of my struggle with this movie is this is a younger Kubrick. This is a Kubrick that is more loose and free with his style. It was it's after it's after this in Strange Love that he becomes an auteur rather than just a director. Yes, yes. But I mean I think the looseness is even seen right there at the beginning when when he Peter Sellers gets to say, No, I'm Spartacus. Yes. Like, that's so great. Like A little dig at what a shit experience that was. Because yes. of all his movies, that's the one that's not a Kubrick. No. No. Not even... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I I just... I mean, that... I, I gotta say, the best parts of this movie... Are the Sellers parts. James Mason and Peter Sellers. Yes. Like, the, the scenes are just fantastic. Yes. There's Of course, there's the opening one. Yep. With the back and forth and the making him read the letter. I love the line about, oh, no, no, don't take that away. It was getting smutty there. And all that little ribbing and riffing when he shoots him the first time. And he's oh, no, not in the boxing glove. Yeah. But, and, and then, of course, there's the scene in the hotel where oh. Sellers has got his back to. Yeah. Ah, oh, that is yes. that is my favorite moment yeah. in the movie. And all the, his deliberate stammering God, that he does. So you've got, good. You've got, you're a normal guy. You've got a normal guy. And you've got a normal face. And oh, I'm a normal guy God. with a normal face. <laughs> it's so good. It's so Just good. Just that roundabout playfulness. Yeah. That was something I really appreciated about this movie this time around is is the way they peppered in Quilty. And and I I in my first viewing, in my subsequent reading about it, I didn't I didn't catch the moment at the dance at the beginning where all the adults are there at the high school dance and they're playing chaperones to all their kids and they notice that Quilty is there. Now Quilty had been he's an, an an author and a lecturer that had been through the town before and and Shelley Windsor's her character had become infatuated with him. She sees him there and she goes to to cut in on a dance yeah. with him. And there's a great throwaway moment where he looks at his watch. But the the first clue that we get to exactly who he is and what his motivations are and why they're just as evil as uh, Humbert's is uh, she mentions, oh, my Lolita, she's going to go see your uncle, the dentist, and, and have her tooth worked on next Wednesday. And his reaction to that tells you everything we need to know about him. He yeah. kind of laughs it off. It's a nervous laughter because she's not going to the dentist. Spoiler alert: She's going to see him. Oh, I don't think I, I thought. Oh, about you didn't that. catch that? No. Either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, me- I remember him saying that, or yeah. her saying that she's going to the dentist. But I, that's yeah. that's good. Yeah. The, just the way that she's going to the piano lessons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Exactly. And okay. she's not going to the piano lessons. Yep. Or, and she's not going to the play rehearsals. Yep. I don't. I don't want to brush over the fact that this movie is a 
not about statutory rape, but yeah, it happens in the in the movie. But it's also enjoyable to watch. It, yeah. It's a tough. It's a it weird. Is, it is very funny. Act. And then when you stop to think about kind of some of the things you're laughing at, this movie has to walk a very very delicate tightrope. Well, and I think it succeeds. I do too. But at the expense of kind of our moral compass. Yeah, I agree. And again, in this movie, you know, had had the Hayes Code and the Catholic League of Decency not been around and and Kubrick been more true to the book, maybe we're not talking about it today. Yeah. You know, exactly. maybe maybe not. Yeah. Um which but, is probably why we're not talking about the Adrian Lynn remake. I'm I not having seen it, I have to assume it's probably smuttier. I would imagine. Yeah. It's more more to the book. And it's de- it debuting on Showtime kind of plays into that. I was going to say that that yeah, late night Showtime. Yep. I yep. yeah, I kind of yep. I can kind of get that. Um but then just some of the ways that they I mean the the dialogue fuck me is I you know the whole like my my cherry pies and like are you my favorite line of the movie is the are you going to take my queen? That's my intention. Yeah. It's just like that's that is it it's witty, it's smart, it's it's well and Kubrick crisp. found a way to get another chess reference into his movies. That's fair, yeah. Uh I, I man, I don't know. And K yeah, Camp Climax and uh it's I, I will say one of the weaker parts of the movie is is the narration. Yeah. It because I agree. It, it's so infrequent and he is he's talking to us. It, it it it's so it's strange. It's not yeah. It's not necessary, and I feel like that's another. It's like it's like a Stephen King thing. It's a it's an author being very because Nabokov did adapt the screenplay with Kubrick and and well, the producer Harris going in and it seems. I was gonna say it seems like it's mostly Kubrick. Yeah, and Harris. like what Nabokov brought. Yeah. did not end up on screen. Well, there, there's a great anecdote about, and this is why. Uh, shout out to to my wife again, Liz. She bought me one of my favorite things that I own. My my massive Tashen coffee table book the Kubrick archives yeah. I got to bust that out again not that I don't read it occasionally but yeah. I got to really use it as a resource and there's so many great anecdotes about the filming this one of them being that uh Harris and Kubrick joked that they couldn't lift the screenplay let alone read it it was something it was a huge number of pages and a nice a nice tie back to Yankee Doodle Dandy because they make a reference in that about like the script's too heavy it'll cost too much yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're judging the budget based on the weight of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love, I love that they would think in those terms. Oh, I can't lift this, so there's no way I'm making it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that Nabokov turned around and published his screenplay later on down the road. Not that that was him having a, a dig at Cuba, because it sounds like, by all accounts, Nabokov did enjoy the movie and did think that they made the right choice yeah, in a lot of places. Too. But anyway, him peppering in the narration does seem like one of those things. An author getting very precious about their material and not well, wanting to let go of certain and things. And there there are moments early on when it's it's clearly what's being written in the journal. Yeah. But then there are moments later where they're like driving and it's happening. It's like Well, is he still keeping the yeah, journal? Yeah, I was like yeah, I was like, what? Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. Uh, which was it, that it was confusing. It didn't pull me out completely, but I remember thinking, we don't need this. Yeah. I also remember from my first viewing being let down by the length. I do remember feeling the length of it the first time, and I definitely didn't feel the length of it this time. I was going to say I, I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was uh, when I pulled it out to watch it. I was like, because it's it's the one movie in my Blu-ray pack of 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 Kubrick that I hadn't seen, and I I looked at the length and I was like, oh, I'm starting this much later than I should have. Yeah. Well, there's but, also it. I think it can. It can be uh, a story like this. I can imagine some people saying, oh, it doesn't already having that foregone conclusion of, oh, it doesn't need to be this long. But 
I would I would say to anybody that don't be put off by that. Oh I, no, you really, it genuinely it moves. It actually it moves pretty quick, faster than two thousand one, and they're similar length. I, I think two thousand one has about ten minutes on this. You f- you feel two thousand and one though, but not, and not in a bad way. No, no, no. But not to I, take anything meant, away no, from that. You're meant to though. Yes, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. supposed to it's sit. A in very it. different style of filmmaking. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now you were you were kind of ribbing on Shelley Winters a little bit. Yeah. Uh, she's my, not my Aung San hero, but she has the thankless role in this movie. She does. Yeah. She does. And and she does have, even though she does go really big at the beginning of that scene, which I wish Kubrick had reined her in a little bit on that. You'll never see that Brad again. She does have a really wonderful moment where she's made references to her, her, her ex-husband who her, she's a well, widow. Her, she's, yeah. she's made reference to the, the late Mr. Hayes and his portrait and his ashes are still in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. There's a really, really wonderful moment where she's realized what she's gotten herself into that, you know, she's been led astray by Humbert. She's been made to believe that he loves her. There's a great moment before that where they're laying in bed together and she's kind of kissing him and he's staring that, at her portrait, oh, which is, God really really creepy that is um but there's a there's a moment uh where she's holding her ex-husband's ashes and crying and and wailing of uh, why do you have to go and die on me and i genuinely i felt that moment you yeah. know I, that, that really is very touching and yeah. it is a, a genuine plea do you know what's not touching mm. the, the the father of the guy who hit her coming over to be like oh it was her fault but i'll, I'll pay for the oh, funeral yeah 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 i was like holy that's well, that that scene is already weird enough because it's almost it's a quiet celebration. Yeah, in the bathtub. He, he sat in the bathtub. He's sipping scotch. There's all these people coming. He's in a haze of, a, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Another unintentional pun. Yeah. Anyway, he's in a haze of what's just happened and realized. Well, I thought I was about to lose Lolita. I had to marry this terrible woman who I can't stand to keep her in my life now she shipped her off to a camp what am i supposed to do oh she's dead now i get to now i'm all she's got well and it's it's amped up too because at first it's just camp and then she's saying no i'm gonna send her right to a boarding school afterwards so there's even this this continued um like there's a moment where they're kissing and it's like it's okay i can i can deal with being with you right now because she'll come back and then his smile fades so quickly yeah. when she says, no, I'm going to send her a boarding school. Right, because then he, he finds the gun that her husband used to keep and he's play, he's having, that's that's a really, that's that's some really good internal, very still acting yeah. from Mason. I love the clumsiness of him. He's checking to see, because he's going through in his head, well, what if, what if I make it like the gun? I didn't know the gun was loaded and we were doing a couple's role play thing and I accidentally kill her. Oh, can I yes. can I get away with that? And yeah. then he clumsily he opens the gun and all the bullets kind of just drop out of it. And I get I I really do genuinely believe that. That's great acting on Mason's part. You do feel like he's never held a gun before the way yeah. he's yeah. No, I totally agree. Um But and and just but just by juxtaposition, so there's so we've got that moment. And then later on, this movie turns into a farce when they can't get the cot open. That's no I, and I, I have a big question mark next to that moment. I'm like, do we need this? Because the movie is it's it's black humor. We've always we've already established that this movie is pitch black humor. It's dark shit that we really shouldn't be laughing at. But because of the Hayes Code, there's certain things that we can't amplify. So let's amplify the bleakness of the humor in it. And then we have the slapstick moment out of nowhere, which I and I, that was my note when I was watching. I was like, do we need this? 
I, I don't, do we need it? I don't know. Did I enjoy it? I, yeah. I did. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, and maybe there's a, obviously there's a, there's a flip side of the coin to everything, but the, you could argue that, yeah, we do need it. We need it to punctuate just how fucked up this whole situation is. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And to, to pop the, you know, let the air out of the balloon a little bit. And that will, cause then the next morning is when we get the, do you want to play a game? Yeah. And that's when we start to kind of get back into the relationship that they have. What, Whatever it may be, of course, more more vague in the movie than probably in the book. But right, but there's there's no reason to suspect that they 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 consummate a relationship. Yeah, yeah. and it's ongoing. And that's the, it's it, it's I I find that it's it's interesting because you don't really know. Because it's all from Humbert's point of view, it's hard to know where uh, where Lolita is in all of this. Like where, because. And I guess that's another thing that's in the book as well. Her loneliness is really emphasized yeah. in the book. But, but again, because it's from, we have to truncate things, obviously, and because it's from Humbert's perspective, he gets to gloss this thing over yeah. any which way he likes, which is which is great writing. It, to, to understand that you're writing from a certain point of view, and so to, to understand that you have to put his veneer over the narration, uh, over and the, what the we, writing. What we get with that though is his paranoia is it gets amped up, and also the the hypocritical nature of who he is. Like when, when when he sees her with the the guys at the the like the burger place after school, and he's like, I don't want you around those nasty boys. It's like, well, you know, it, it, it's like the 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 pot calling the kettle black. Yes. It's like, dude, you are a you nasty are. boy. You just well, you're decades older, but now that's the toenail painting scene. Yes. Yeah. I skipped over something. The first thing I wrote as I was writing this, sorry, just to jump back, because I know we're kind of, we're not going beat by beat, but no. we're, we're working our way through it. Do you think the opening titles are Quentin's favorite opening titles? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just a close up <laughs> of a foot with the toenails being painted. And I had to, I, was, oh, I don't know why, I just had to inject a little bit of humor. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's a good topical uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you think they are? Oh, God. No. Do you, do you think he digs this movie? I probably, I think he probably likes the movie. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's just because of the feet. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, also in that, that same uh, section of the film where we have the, the scene with the cots, um, that sort of slapsticky moment, of course, Quilty just happens to be there. And there's a great, another great moment of Quilty riffing. He's talking to... Um, oh, the night clerk. The night clerk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is... George Swine is the character's name, played by Bill Green. He's uh, He's got his... Um, Quilty has got his companion there, uh, played by Marianne Stone. Her name's Vivian Darkbloom. Who is... Who the fuck is she? I know. She doesn't have any dialogue. I don't know. She's just there. It to, is so odd. And fascinating, yeah, but frustrating too. Because but end, we get like, a little, we get a little bit of who she is peppered in. Because in that scene, he's describing kind of his relationship with her that they do judo together, and she's so much better. She loves to like throw him, okay, in judo okay. throws, and do he you lays believe there. that? See, I you didn't. Know, I kind of do. I didn't believe any of that. I kind of do. Oh. <laughs> That's so great. I, I like if if you're not visualizing that as he's telling that, then what's the point? I I'd love to believe that that is true and that he is something of a sadomasochist I, and loves ah. to be. I I that I get that from him that he's 
he's he likes to be dominated. See, the quilty character. I, what I get from that is I, I don't know if we can believe anything he said. What we see of him on screen, I don't know if we can believe a word of it. Oh, and that's, and I think that's the point of his character is he's supposed he's there to throw us off. Uh, yeah, he's there to throw so to to cause confusion and to 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 mess with our perception a little bit. But I I love the image of him describing the image of just laying there in pain, and I love it. Yeah, but to to stay on our seller's train is once they're in, uh, once they're in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, and once we've been through the thing that the Lolita is railing against uh, Humbert, kind of keeping her locked up and stopping her from seeing all those nasty boys. But clearly she still is able to have something of a relationship with Quilty because she's not, we find out she's not going to the piano lessons we're going to. We get the great, probably the best scene in the movie, and that's the Dr. Zemp scene. <laughs> that's a, yeah. It's so weird. It's Oh, so, it's very weird. It's it's it turns into a different movie at that point at that there has been obviously double entendre as we mentioned the camp climax and all that there is dark humor and little throwaway moments that have been peppered in throughout the movie and of course we've had the the scene we talked about the the normal face you're a normal guy with a normal yes, face yeah. where he's been you know quilty has been feeling out humbert and his relationship with lolita as they're staying in this motel but yeah. this is where it descends into full pitch black comedy it's yeah. not messing around in not fact there's a in this this Kubrick archives uh book that i have there are stills from the first go around where they shot that scene where he sellers actually did it in drag and they're like no this is too broad there's no way and it's <laughs> the the stills of him with the he's got like uh he's wearing one of those this hat he's it, it's very much you know, tight, stiff, starched dress with a tiny jacket, <laughs> and uh, he's clean shaven. But he's still, they didn't do anything to disguise the fact that it's Peter Sellers. It's just Peter Sellers in a wig and a dress. Sure. <laughs> they make no effort to disguise that this is a man in a dress, which I'm like, that is. I can understand why you would do that and why in the moment that's so funny, but that is a bridge too far. I understand yeah. that's going to take us out of the movie. And so they invented Zemph on the spot. Oh, nice. okay. Yeah. yeah. And I just, all the dialogue. Yeah. I, I, I have almost all, I have all the dialogue in that scene. It's just so <laughs> goddamn good. He's talking about, um, so it's essentially the scene is him just trying to get at Humbert and try and weasel his way even more into Lolita's life because Humbert has told Lolita that, oh, you can't, you can't be in this school play because then that means you're going to be spending more time with nasty boys. And so Zemph is there to convince him to let her into the play because uh, this home life that she's leaving that she's leading with Humbert, you know, just the two of them. It's uh, acutely repressing oh, her libido. That was the <laughs> I had that one. I was just about I'm to like, say that, that line. That isn't your clue right there. I love how, I mean, because Humbert is a smart guy. He's a, he's a professor of literature, but he's so, he himself is so repressed. You know, he's, yeah. he's book smart and nothing else. Yeah. And I think that's that's why I, I come back to that. It would have been great to have the backstory somewhere in the movie, a flashback of him as a 14-year-old, and that scene of unfulfilled love would explain so much about his psychology. Yeah. I mean, we really don't know anything about him. Right. He, he just appears out of nowhere and, yeah. and falls in love with Lolita. Yeah. Yeah. So to make a, a long movie even longer, that I don't, I don't think it would have taken too long to deal with that. I, I Probably not. It didn't, yeah. I mean, just to give us a that, little that's bit. That's really my, my major complaint with this movie is 
not not enough context given to to how or why or when Humbert became as inclined as he is. Yeah, I mean maybe that's just as it, it, in a, in a way it, it can be as menacing in a in a different way because we don't know. Right. You know, here's this normal looking dude. All of a sudden, now infatuated with this teenager. Right. Yeah, that's not right. good. Yeah. And maybe it's not important to know how he got there. Right. It's just that he. It's. But the the comparison that I'm drawing is that he doesn't need to be scary because in the end he's 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 just a, a perverted kind of oaf who gets done over. I don't. He, he's he's not like Hannibal Lecter in a way, which they I feel they spoiled Hannibal Lecter by making the book and the movie about his childhood and his upbringing, explaining why he eats people. Yeah, you know that not knowing why he eats people is what makes him scary. Yeah, but I feel like with Humbert, we it's it's only going to strengthen the movie and his character to kind of know why he why he ticks the way he ticks. Yeah, I mean I don't. I think the movie could have gone down that route. Yeah. I'm not mad that it didn't. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Um, so do you have an unsung hero? Because you said it was, it's not Shelley Winters. You know, I don't think I prepared an unsung. I just, I was so fixated on, on Shelley Winters being my, uh, my thankless role. So I have, I have one. Um, it's, it's Oswald Morris, the cinematographer, for two reasons. One, because I actually really enjoyed the cinematography of the movie. I liked, I liked the way it was shot. Um, and it's, Unlike Spartacus, which clearly isn't, this sort of moves, moves back into what we're going to sort of get familiar with Kubrick and the way that the camera moves. But here's a little story. I don't know if you if you read this. I'm going to just kind of read it the way it's written here. Cinematographer Oswald Morris had a major falling out with director Stanley Kubrick during production. Kubrick was furious when images from the film appeared in a newspaper during shooting. He blamed Morris, who, as cinematographer, was responsible for managing the rushes from each day's shoot, and which was where the leak images had apparently originated. It was later discovered that a junior assistant to the film processing lab had sold them to the press. According to Morris, Kubrick never apologized for him to him for the accusation, and an angry Morris vowed never to work with the director again. <laughs> I did. I did. That story it does appear in the in the archives in the in the book. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that he's an unsung hero, but something that I, I wanted to bring up that I enjoyed, the music in this is actually really good. And some of it is really disarming. It, it's all over. I, I wrote, I, at one point I said, um, the score, like the movie, is all over the place. Right. And did you get a, I got a smattering of, of the score that Johnny Greenwood did for Phantom Thread, when I'm listening to a lot of that, because Phantom, Phantom Thread is set in the 50s as well. Yeah. I kind of I kind of got a little of that flavor of it, so I don't know that that Nelson Riddle, who composed the score, who also coincidentally composed the score for the 1966 Batman movie. Oh, uh, I don't know that he's an unsung hero, but I did just want to give him a shout out because I do I like how the music, like James Mason's performance, those in conjecture with each other really do serve to disarm you. Yeah. from what you're watching. I agree. I agree. I have um I have two small weird things I want to put out there before, um. I mean, just two things that I need to get out before, I mean, we, I, I say my piece. Um, the high school play, they bow like 15 times. Too, yeah. too much bowing. Yeah. Too I much mean, bowing. It might be good, but it's probably not that good. No, it's not. It's not at all. I, I, as a, as a how person. Many, how many bows have you taken? Uh, if Well, no, it, now it depends. Because you'll sometimes what you'll do, you'll do a bow where you come out in groups and then a, a company bow. But if you start with a company bow, you're done. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. You got it. And if you're lucky, the curtain will come down once and then come back up and then you do it again and then you're out. 
they bowed at least eight times. Well, they also do it backwards. Don't they don't the company bow and then they send Lolita back out there to bow it's by like, herself. Well, sometimes you can send the star back out. Okay, that that's the thing that'll happen. But I I didn't I didn't like that. So at most you've done three. Yeah. Well, no, but uh, sure. I'm talking about you personally. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I don't ever track it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the, the the last thing I want to say is how how useless was that epilogue? I think it's again it's another one of those things I don't. I don't know how I feel about the epilogue. It's definitely not necessary, but I think it's... I think they want us to sympathize with Humbert. And we really shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. So I, I think, yeah, you could lose the epilogue. This, I mean, it didn't... It. And I hate... I, the, another thing that I hate is that he gets to have his crying scene when his Lolita has been taken from him and he finds her pregnant oh, three years see, later. I thought that was his... I thought that was so funny. Oh, him but, crying. Yeah, because then she's like, hey, listen, let's keep in touch. She's so nonchalant about yeah. it. And we're watching Well, that's this- the great thing is he's he's now completely out of love with her. She's pregnant. She's become, she's like 17, 18 now. She's not the nymphette anymore. And she's, there are elements of the way that she talks to him, which is the same way that Shelley Winters as her mother was talking to him. And so Quilty took this from him and turned her into her mother. And do you like the little... Uh, you like the little thing where she talks about how Quilty wanted her to be in an art movie? Oh, God, dude, I have that right. I have an art movie, dot, dot, dot. So, porn. Yeah. 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 yeah he took her out to this dude ranch in Santa Fe with all these other artists and, and filmmakers. <laughs> and that's, that's where they, that's where they did it back in the day, man. Forget, forget Vegas or LA. They were making porn out in Santa Fe. Damn right. Um, but something that, in the water out there. <laughs> but the, I mean, that's, that's pretty much I you know I took a lot of notes and I highlighted what I wanted to say. I I I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that because I I came into this thing figuring that that you weren't gonna. No, it was yeah. it was my cup of tea. It, it walked yeah. it, it walked that tightrope and it it wavered, yeah. but it it it. I don't think that that's something that get well. Lolita doesn't get talked about a lot in in Kubrick's canon anyway. Yeah, but I don't think when it is talked about, I don't feel like people appreciate just how much of a tightrope it walked. Yeah. Tonally. I, I yeah. But I, I think ultimately end of the day, yeah. I, I liked it. Yeah. So question is, do you think it should be in the book? I don't. You don't. As and as much as I like it and I am a huge Kubrick fan, Kubrick is both my favorite filmmaker of all time and I do think he's the greatest filmmaker of all time. Sure. Um I don't I don't want to say it's a weak film because it's not. It's just he's made so many masterpieces that it just it can't stand it can't stand against two thousand one. It doesn't hold a candle to Clockwork Orange, uh, even to a degree. Full Metal Jacket, which is not, I'll spoil it now. It's not in my top five Kubrick. It's but not it's, on mine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just it's not a bad movie, and it's the same thing with last week with Yankee Doodle Dandy. I I enjoyed the movie. And I, I think it's worthwhile. I just don't think it's a must-see before you die. Now, if you are like Yankee Doodle Dandy, if you're a, a massive fan of uh, theater and musical theater, then and you are a completionist when it comes to that kind of thing, then yes, it's a must-see. And in yeah. the same way, if you're a Kubrick completionist, then yes, it is a must-see. Sure. But, uh, my replacement is the movie I talked about at the beginning, The Killing, because that is probably the most underrated Kubrick film. 
and, and, and it's a great meshing, like I said, of his documentary background with breaking into narrative film and those two things coming together. And it's just a fucking good noir. Yeah. And see, cause I think it should be in the book. And oh, yeah, that's surprising. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where whatever, I, whatever as you see more Kubrick, though, because you said you haven't seen all of them. Everything basically before um, Spartacus. Okay, as as you see some of those earlier ones, I I don't know. Pass the glory is already in there, so you'll probably feel the same way. But I don't know. I I'm I, hoping you'll come around and enjoy the killing as much as well, I do. I, I'm sure I will. I I just think it's. I mean, would I were would I were would I take it out and put something else in that I really really like that isn't in it? Sure. But if I'm asking if, if I'm asking myself just the question, should it be should this film be in the book? I'm I'm gonna say yes. That's like, awesome. I think, I think it's enjoyable. Um, I'm surprised we had a split decision on this one. Hey, you know what? The, that, I, that's what that, I love about this. That, that's cool, that's man. That's great. I dig it. So let's let us do our top five Kubricks. So we we talked about this beforehand, potentially doing ranking all of filmography. But as Adam just said, he yeah, hasn't I, seen yes, exactly. some of the earlier stuff. Now we mentioned that Full Metal Jacket is not going to be in our lists. If we could do halves of movies, I it would. Oh, I I like the whole thing. Yeah. I, but I, I know that I know that argument. Yeah. I've, I've heard that many times. So, okay. Uh, so I told you mine was complicated. Well, okay. Yeah. We'll just, and we'll get to it when we get to it. Yeah. Okay. So you want? I'll jump in first. Go for it. My number five is Eyes Wide Shut. Wow. You'll be more upset when you realize what's not on my list. But no, no that's fine. But justify why Eyes Wide Shut is number five. So it's not a. It's not a bad movie. No. And and the thing is, is that. The thing about that movie is that I kind of, even though it's in this world where this this weird sex cult thing is is going on, I I really buy all the motivations. I find everybody really compelling. I I really I I, I like isn't the right word because it's it's kind of disturbing. But like the the marital struggles of of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. That's and it, what I was gonna ask are, you. Is just fascinating because i appreciate it more now as a married man it's just it's so it's it's interesting and i i i find that simple piano progression as one of the most disturbing things played in a movie i i it's so haunting but as as now being married and as a father do you do you appreciate it more than you may have done oh in years previous probably yeah Yeah. I, i just i think it's i think it's smart and you can it's not it's not his best it's not but you can see all the years they spent working on it. Yes, and I, 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 I don't well, know. It, I, it shut Nicole and and Tom down for you. They weren't able to make a movie. Yeah, for like three years they committed to it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I think the performances are great. I think it's directed really well. I, I think Sidney Pollock is, is fucking awesome. Oh, in I was it. Gonna, I'm glad you brought him up because Pollock is fucking fantastic. And it. I just, I really, and when he comes home and the mask is on his pillow, I just. It's like well, the, and before we move off of Pollock, like name me another guy who was both an actor and a director who was great at both, other than Eastwood. Eastwood's the easy one, but Eastwood's a better director than he is. That's, an actor. that's what I was gonna say. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Pollock Pol- has a standalone. Pollock was fucking fantastic. He is yeah. a guy I miss. Yeah. So Eyes Wide Shut is my five. That's great. Okay. What's yours? I, I'm really, I'm really bowled over by that. I'm really excited to hear that because yeah. I've been, I've been appreciating Eyes Wide Shut a lot more over the last few years, and yeah, the piano progression. It's a fucking good movie. Yeah, and the stuff with the. And it's, it's amazing that he even made it because his wife thought it was beneath him. Kubrick's wife, yeah, really didn't want him to make it. Hated the source material. Thought it was is was a waste of his time. Yeah, my number five is A Clockwork Orange. 
we'll wait to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, my number four is 2001. Oh, so is mine. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, great. Uh, it was higher originally when I was younger because, I mean, of course, you'd never forget the first time you see 2001. That's one of those, and I wish I could have it again. It's one of those, like, like Godfather yeah. or... From, I mean, Pulp Fiction for Pulp me. Pulp Fiction, Dog Day Afternoon, sure. 12 Angry Men. There are a lot of movies where I'm like, man, I want that first. I want that again, yeah. that, that innocence of not having seen it and knowing nothing about it or knowing very little about it, that, that first viewing which yeah. expands your mind. I mean, uh, I, I won't lie. I think that the, 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 um, the lights, I, I get it. It goes on too long. And I, and that's that's a nitpicky thing, and maybe that's a that's a very contemporary thing to say. I just think it it lasts a really long time. Um, well, not as long as the the monkeys at the beginning. But see, I like that. Yeah, I like watching that progression. Yeah. Um. And there's a, there's a, there's some, I, maybe maybe it's just there's a there's a clearer story being told at that moment. Um. But you can't. I mean. I mean, it's good. But once that once it's it's the two guys and Hal, man, that. Whew. Fuck, that's good. There'll, there'll never be another movie like 2001. It is, <laughs> we talk about unique movies, but it is genuinely one of the most unique films ever made. There'll never be another one. As much as Nolan yeah. tried with Interstellar, that's, can that's, still yeah. suck it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, I, 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 all these people that love Interstellar, in my mind, have you not seen 2001? Because I, 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 I walked out of that movie, and I saw it with a couple of friends, and... They asked me what I thought, and I went, "Well, I've already seen 2001." Yeah, that's fair. That, I think that's a fair comment to make. All right, so that was that was our number four. Your number three. My number three is The Shining. So is mine. Hey. hey. But this is where my list gets complicated. Okay. My number three is the UK cut of The Shining. To get a little specific. Okay. No, 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 no. They <laughs> they are genuinely very different. I mean, the UK cut is more than 30 minutes shorter. And I think I may have discussed this on another episode when we were talking about Kubrick or something like that, but it cuts a lot of fat. Because the, the Shining, as you may know, it wasn't well-received here in the States. It was nominated for Razzies, um, and was the, the, the reviews were lukewarm, and of course Stephen King had come out publicly and bashed it. Yeah. And he's such a well-respected author that I think a lot of people just fell prey to that. Um, so one of the major things that the UK cut removes is, um, and I shouldn't just say the Europe, the UK cut because it was the the cut seen in the rest of the world. The 144 minute cut is exclusive to North America. Oh, okay, okay. It cuts all the stuff with the psychologist at the beginning, and so we don't get the backstory of the contentious relationship between Danny and Jack. And so when Jack starts to turn, and that happens, of course, much quicker in this cut because of that. It's so much more sinister. We don't know that he broke Danny's arm until he confesses it much, much later to the bartender that isn't there. Yeah. And, and it's just little things like that that they removed. To, it's tighter. It's nastier. It's honestly, it's scarier. Okay. There's more of a sense of dread. Now, if we talk about the U.S. cut, that's probably like eighth on my list down behind like Full Metal Jacket and Paths of Glory. But... The U the UK cut is my is my number three. Well, the cut that I know is still my number three. Yeah, um, and th- and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's I like, you know the the like the, the horror movie where there really isn't 
there's no monster, right? It's it's very uh, in our heads. Yeah, you know that that's where they're that's where the psychological terror is coming from. I think that's uh, yeah. And, and we'll I, and we'll have plenty of time to delve into it when we do an episode. And yeah, it's the 40th anniversary. Oh shit, it is. There yeah. we go. So maybe maybe there's a shining episode coming your way. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we like maybe. tying it in. We like doing anniversaries. So so what is your number two? Oh wait, we uh, said so. My number two is Doctor Strange Love. Ah, that's my number one. Okay. And of course, you can go back and listen. We left the. We didn't pull Strange Love, right? Strange Love is still up. For oh, free. I, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to actually well, figure that out. Anyway, yeah. the Strange Love episode. It's out there. You can find it. It's, yeah. It's a really. It's a solid episode. Yeah. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Um. So my number two is Barry Lyndon. Preach it, bro. Yeah. That's your number one. Nope. No. Here's the reason it doesn't make my list is because I've only seen it once. Mm. And while I remember enjoying it, I can't say that I, I like it more than these others because it I've seen every one of these at least three times. Barry Lyndon once. I have the criterion. And it looks magnificent. I just, I, I when we eventually rehash a top five after I see it, I, I can... Yeah, I yeah, can see yeah, it again. Yeah. I just, I can't, in all good conscience, put it above any of these that I, I have yeah. more of a familiarity with. And it's one of the best Criterion releases of recent years. I yeah. mean, it is spectacular. I, re- I mean, don't get me wrong. I remember looking at the, t- I, b- back in college, I saw the length and I was like, oh, God. But I said, but it's Kubrick. Yeah. And that, so yes, it's going to be long, and you're going to feel it. But there's a reason why you're feeling it. Yeah. Because every frame of that film, and I'm not the first person to say this, every frame of that film is a painting. Yeah. It's, I mean, literally, they they do. There's there's like things online where you can see the side by side of the paintings of the, the time. The, yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it and it was it probably was my number one actually until we did the Strange Love episode and I. Those two probably would have been reversed, and I fell in love with Strange Love yeah. all over again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Strange Love is so goddamn funny. Yeah, it's so great. My one is Clockwork Orange. All right, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with this was my intro to Kubrick. Oh, really? It was, was your first Clockwork one? Orange. Yeah, wow. and I remember thinking that this is dark and brutal and and harsh. But well, I also it, it wasn't my first Kubrick because we couldn't see it in the UK for years. Yeah. It was it was banned until ninety nine or two thousand, and I I think I think you know what it's trying to tackle of like reformation, but also like through the extreme ways in which that would happen, and then it really shows how how the two sides of an argument can sometimes be too far, you know, and like you know of course you know he's he's the brutal criminal, but then we're trying to make him the exact opposite, and I the the scene where um it, the two the two uh, fellow droogs years later they're police officers and i still have a hard time with that it, that scene oh, really fucked me up the first yeah time I saw it. but it's and that's and sometimes a movie a movie can be really hard to watch but sometimes it, it's done in such a beautiful like cinematically gorgeous way it's like jesus christ it's just it it knocked me it knocked me on my ass yeah um and, and what it, a follow when you look at it in the sort of over like it after 2001 like what a fucking bold movie to make yeah yeah i mean 2001 was a bold movie to make but then to turn around and do that yeah fuck yeah 
And we talk about we talk about directors and their and their their three picture runs. I mean, what what three movies do you want to pick? Yeah. You know, how do you do it? Yeah. You can't. You know, it's I'm, probably two thousand one Clockwork, and then and then. See, I don't know. It's, it's, see, uh, I would. God see, damn it! I would go. I would go. Strange, Strange Love, two thousand one, and Clockwork. But then Orange. that means you're leaving Barry Lyndon out. I know. But for me, like on my like, I could do that on my. You list. could, but I can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a son of a bitch. I know. But here's the here's the real thing, though. I haven't seen all of Kubrick's movies. This is just a, an order of preference. Yes. There is no like because Eyes Wide Shut is my five, and because a Clockwork Orange is your five. That doesn't mean we don't like those movies. Yeah. There's just we're just ranking the ones we just had to find yeah. a way to do it. Yeah. And honestly, the way that I approached it, and I texted you that I'd been working on it for ages. I was like, well, what do I want to watch right now? Like, given a choice, I go as I go home from work, and I want a Kubrick. What am I putting on? Like, I went in that kind of preferential order of Ugh, what I would watch. That's, yeah. that's how I had to approach it yeah. because of how close I feel to so many of his movies and why I do cons- I consider him the greatest filmmaker of all time. You know what was funny? Making my top five Kubrick is, is difficult, and it means searching my soul. <laughs> To, you know, to exaggerate a little bit, but yeah. it just speaks to the power of him. Whereas Spielberg, I while I was making this, I thought about, well, let's try and do another big filmmaker. I just grabbed Spielberg randomly out of my mind. And I can do my top five of him off the bat without me thinking about it. It's Jaws, Munich, Raiders, Close Encounters, and um, Jurassic Park. Okay. I, I can. That's easy. I don't even have to think about that. That just falls into place naturally. Sure. But when you have a true auteur like this, who masterpiece after masterpiece, how do you compare them? See, and how I, do you stack them up against each other? I, I realize that Spielberg has made uh, a considerable uh, more amount of films than he has. But with with Spielberg, the flip side is, is you could easily go, "What are your worst five Spielberg films?" Like it, it wouldn't be too difficult to go, "Oh." Well, God, uh, Hook. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you went with Hook first. Well, I, you know what I mean. Like, like there's enough schmaltzy stuff. Yeah, that it's yeah, like yeah. It, it's not like um, um, Indiana Jones Four, Bridge of Spies. Oh, did you hate Bridge of Spies? I didn't that much? hate it, but it was no. But it's like you're not showing me anything new. It, it was a wasted opportunity, and I felt bad for the Coen Brothers because it was a Coen Brothers script. Yeah, like, I know, I know. Anyways, though, but I, yeah, I, I going just keeping it to Kubrick though. Yes, yes. it's. He makes good movies. That's a, well, it's, it's a real shame the, the the movies that he didn't get to make, like his Aryan Papers movie or his Napoleon. My God, what a what a fucking movie that would have been. His Napoleon movie would have changed. Well, I mean, he changed movies so many yeah. times, but that would have been another one that changed the way we think about film. Well, it's just a shame that you didn't feel like uh, Lolita should be in the book. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I got I got another Kubrick in there. I got the killing in there. I know. I'm just giving you shit. Uh, but anyway, so that's a no from Ian. That's a yes from me. However, we always want to know what you think. So please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know what you think about Lolita, but in Kubrick in general. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Like I said, um, you can support the show at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. You can listen to us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, other places I'm sure. I'm sure. I haven't mined the depths of where you can get every single podcast, but other places as well. Um, and stay tuned next week for a film that Roger Ebert believes is one of the 10 best movies ever made. Will we stay tuned and find out? <laughs> and until then, I am Adam and I am you, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>